Welcome to Writers Off the Page, 40 Years of Tifa, produced by the Toronto Public Library. I'm Randy Boyagoda. In today's episode, Austin Clark reads a story that makes you laugh and makes you wonder if you should be laughing. But we was feeling good, though, because the big boys in Toronto don't particularly notice we unless it's Carabana weekend or when election time come in and they're looking for votes or when they start doing a feature on racism and West Indians and they want a quotation. So we feel this Green Hornet is our ambassador, even if he is only an ambassador of parking tickets. I'm speaking to you from somewhere inside the time of the COVID crisis. You know as well as I do that I can't be more specific. Is this the start? It certainly doesn't feel like the end. Well, with empty store shelves and growing numbers of infections and bad news and worried faces everywhere you look, I guess it kind of feels like the end in a different way, right? Did that make you laugh or smile even a little? It's an on-the-fly example of gallows humor, the kind of dark laughter that tends to come up in response to difficult situations. Writers have long been master proprietors of this kind of thing. There's a famous old story of Kafka reading from his fiction to a group of people who looked shocked and horrified that he couldn't stop laughing as he detailed the kind of awful and bleak situation he tended to write about a lot. If you're not certain yet of what I'm talking about, or if you know exactly what I'm talking about, the Austin Clark story you're about to hear is perfect for you. What matters here isn't just the story itself, which is entertaining and unsettling, back and forth, back and forth. What matters is listening to the way the live audience responds to Clark's telling of the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of a five-foot-three parking ticket officer from Guyana, nicknamed Green Hornet because of his uniform, as he tries to move up in ahead in Toronto by taking very, very seriously his right and responsibility to issue slips for parking offenses. You can tell the audience wants to laugh. They can't help but laugh. They are absolutely right to laugh until they're not so sure, as Clark describes moment after moment of comic humanity and comic inhumanity at work in the Green Hornet's relationship to the people and world around him. That's enough to say about the story itself. It's worth hearing in its complex fullness for yourself. But one more thing. This time about the storyteller. Austin Clark has a beautiful voice. It's at once sonorous and lyrical, sweet and light, and capable of suddenly turning sharp and barbed before turning back again, much like his very writing. He could have, at so many times in this story, played up to the audience. Sensing they were laughing and were wanting to laugh more, he could have read some of Green Hornet's words or some of the words others have about him to exaggerated and assured and assuring comic effect. He doesn't do that. He lets certain lines and images linger, challenging us to work it out for ourselves what happens when triumph and failure, comedy and tragedy, so tightly weave together in the telling of an ordinary person's effort to lead an extraordinary life. I see him and I watch him. I see him and I watch him and I start to pray for him because I see him heading for trouble, making money. In five or six years, I want to have a lot of money. 
Only when I have a lot of dollars will people respect me. I had to laugh. Every time he says so, I just have to laugh because I couldn't do nothing more better than laugh. Look at the Rockefellers. Look at the Rothschilds. Look at the Kennedys. I was going to ask him if he knew how they make their money. But before I could ask, he would be off dreaming and looking up at the ceiling where there was only cobwebs and dust. And only God knows what was circulating through his head every time he put himself in these deep reveries concerning making lots of money and talking about the Rockefellers, the Rothschilds, and the Kennedys. I was still laughing because the present job he had was a green hornet job. He was a man who went to work in a green suit from head to foot, except the shoes, which was black and which he never polished. His profession was to go around the St. Clair Oakwood area, put in parking tickets from people's cars. Before he start all this foolishness with West Indian cars, he uses to be on the Queen's Park beat for Green Hornets. <laughs> a big man like him, over 200 pounds, healthy and strong and black, and all he could do after eight years is to walk about with a little book in his hand, putting little yellow pieces of paper on people's windshields. <laughs> he liked the job so much and thought he did doing the right thing, that in the middle of the night, during a poker game, or just dipsy-doodling and talking about women, he would put back on the green uniform jacket, <laughs> gravel up the peak cap, jump in the little green car that the police give him, and go on straight up by Sinclair Oakwood, up and down Northcliffe Boulevard, swing right on Eglinton, go on down Eglinton, and swing left on Park Hill Road, left again on Whitmore, and all he's doing is putting these yellow pieces of paper <laughs> on decent, hard-working people cars. <laughs> when he returned, he does be laughing. I tell him he's going to soon stop laughing when I'm resting in Licky Dung with a big rock. I have fixed him. I have ticketed 110 motor cars today alone. And the night I left the poker game, I ticket 50 more, 50 more bastards, mainly West Indians. <laughs> I start to get real frightened because I know a lot of these West Indians living in them very streets where he does be ticketing and laughing. And all them West Indians know who the Green Hornet is. <laughs> And being as how there's West Indians, I know they don't like green hornets, nor nobody who does be ticketing their cars. So I feel that any morning when one of these West Indians come home from a party or often night shift and see him doing foolishness and putting yellow tickets on their motor cars, I know him is at least one handbreadth. West Indians accustomed parking in the middle of the road or on the wrong side, back home. And nobody don't trouble them nor touch their cars. And since they come here, many of these West Indians haven't taken on a change of attitude 
in regards to who owned the public road and who owned the motor cars. So whilst the boy ticketing and laughing and putting his hands on people's cars, which they just wash in the car wash and bathers, I continue worrying and watching him. One night, just as we sit down to cut the cards, and before the cards deal, he come in grinning and saying, I ticket 200 motor cars today alone. One of these days, boy, I tell him, when I pass in the green car and I see him, I know I had him. Who? I see the car parked by the fire hydrant. The chauffeur was leaning back in the seat, one hand outside the car window with a cigarette in that hand, the next hand over the back of the seat. I look in the car, and when I look in, I nearly had a fit. I recognize the pipe. I recognize the dark blue pinstripe suit. I recognize the hair with the streak of gray in them, and I make a U-turn in the middle of the road. But a U-turn illegal? I is a green hornet, man. I see. I size up the car, and I see the license plate, O-N-T, O-O-T-1. I start getting nervous now, because I know it is the big man, or the second most biggest man in Toronto. I draw up. The chauffeur nod to me and tell me, fine day, eh? And I tell him, a very fine day, sir. <laughs> and I get out. I bend over the bonnet of this big, shiny black car. Limousine, man. A big car is called a limo. Well, it could have been a limo, a hearse, be Christ, or automobile. I still bend over the bonnet and stick on one of the prettiest parking tickets in my whole career. <laughs> the premier's car? He met the law, not me. <laughs> and you think you're doing the right thing? My legal bounden duty. <laughs> Afterwards, I did feel so good like a real police officer and not a, a mere green hornet. And I walked through Queen's Park on my two feet looking for more official cars to ticket. <laughs> And when I was finished, I had stick on five parking tickets in their ass. One belongs to the Attorney General, too. The same man who's the, who does defend West Indians, I put one on Larry Grossman car, too. Well, that whole night, all the boy talking about and laughing about is how he stick on tickets on these big shot cars or limousines. And to make matters worse for the rest of we, he win all the blasted money in the poker game. <laughs> I feel now that the boy really going to become important, maybe even become a real police and make pure money, or else going to lose a hand or a foot. <laughs> but we was feeling good, though, because the big boys in Toronto don't particularly notice we unless it's caravan a weekend, or when election time come in and they're looking for votes, or when they start doing a feature on racism and West Indians, and they want a quotation. So we feel this Green Hornet is our ambassador, even if he is only an ambassador of parking tickets. <laughs> so we laugh like hell at the boys' prowess and progress. 
And we just wait till a certain time on a Friday night, nervous as hell while cutting the cards and dealing them to see if the boy can turn up still dressed off in the green uniform, meaning that he hasn't got fired for ticketing the big shot cars. And when he does turn up dressed from head to trousers in green, we know he still have the job, and we just laugh some more. But all the time, I just be still nervous as I seeing him and watching him. Then he start losing weight. He start biting his fingers. He start wearing the green uniform not pressed and half dirty. He start calling me, you people. I get him frightened now cause he tell me that they take you off the Queen's Park beat. So Ms. Now that he up in Sinclair Oakwood and I feel he going put a ticket on the wrong motor car, meaning a West Indian car. And at least one handbrake or one foot. And if the particular motor car belonged to Jamaican, not even the ones that have locks and as wear the wool tams, make out of black, green, and red, I know I'm going to be both foots and both hands. <laughs> I see him and I watch him. I have lived in Trinidad as a police, but I born in Barbados. I left Trinidad because they won't let me ticket 100 more motor cars and break the all-time record. <laughs> I went to Guyana after Trinidad. I was a police in Guyana before Guyana was even Guyana and was still Demerara or BG. They make me left Guyana when I get close to the record. Ten more tickets is all I had to ticket. From Guyana, I end up in Dominica. Same thing. From Dominica, I went to Antigua, and I was in Antigua that a fella come close to licking me down for doing my legal duty, namely ticketing cars. In all them countries, I ticket cars that belongs to prime ministers, ministers of governments, priests, civil servants, and school teachers. I see him, and I watch him. I see him getting more older than the 45 years he see he was born. And I see him drinking straight rums first thing every morning lately because he said the nerves bad. Not that I becoming an alcoholic. I only taking the bad taste of waking up so early out of my mouth. I am not an alcoholic. It's the pressure and the lack of sleep. But he was drunk. Cleveland was drunk, drunk, drunk early every morning. He had to be really drunk after he outlined the plan to make money to me. Remember the Rockefeller's man, he tell me, this is my plan. I've been a Green Hornet for nine years now. They promised me that if I ticket the most cars out of the whole group of Hornets, they will send me to training school to be a police. First, they tell me I too short. I is 5'4", but most criminals is only 5'3". <laughs> then they tell me my arch is fallen. Jesus Christ, what you expect? <laughs> After all the beats I have walked in Trinidad, Guyana, Antigua, Dominica, and, and Grenada, my arch is bound to fall. <laughs> and eight, nine years in this damn country pounding the beat ticketing cars, 
but they can't beat me. Not me, boy. This is the plan I got for the ass. Tickets begin at $5, right? There's $5, $10, and $15, right? $20 for parking beside a fire hydrant or on the wrong side, right? Now, I write up a $10 ticket, and I charge, and I change the 10 to 40 The stub in my book still saying 10 but the ticket on the car that's saying, but the ticket on the car that's saying 10 also, I can change from 10 to 40 Then I can rush down to the vehicle registration place on Wesley Street, where they have all them computers. And I tell the fellow I know from Guyana something, anything to get him to look up the registration for me. And then I get in touch with the owner of the said vehicle and subtract 10 from 40 and you mean subtract 10 years from 40. You don't like my plan. I think your plan worth 10 years. <laughs> okay. What about this other one? People don't lock their cars when they park, right? West Indians is the biggest criminals in regards to this, right? Now, a fella don't lock your car on a night, and I got on my Green Hornet uniform, right? Meaning I am still operating in an official capacity. I see the boy start to smile, and his face spread and light up like a new moon. The face was shining too, Cause the heat and the sureness that the plan going work this time make him sweat real bad. But I watching him. I know that West Indians don't have much money because they just get the worst and lowest jobs in Toronto. Only a certain kind of West Indian does have money in their pocket. The kind that does work night shift, especially after midnight, when everybody else sleeping. The brown West Indian, who I not going to mention by name in case they accuse me of categorizing the race and being a reverse racist. But certain West Indians like hairdressers, real estate salesmen, and fellows who know race horses backwards and forwards, good, good, plus the unemployable brand, namely the illegal immigrants, the illegal parkers, and them who hiding from the police, them so would have money to burn inside their cars that not locked. <laughs> the boy eyes smiling. I see dollar bills instead of pupils. I even hear the money clinking like when a car passed over the piece of black rubber thing in a gas station. Clink, clink. <laughs> Give me just three months, he said. Give me three bare months and I can show you something. Just as I left my walking across Northcliffe Boulevard going to Eglinton, I see a green hornet fella standing up in front of a fella car. The fella already inside the car. The fella want to drive off, but the green hornet standing up in front of the man car. The fella inside the car honk the horn. And the Green Hornet fella take out his black book. Slow, slow. And he flip back a page and hold down a little and start to write down the car license. The fella honk the car again. The Hornet walk more closer. He tear off the little yellow piece of paper 
and getting ready to put it on the man brand new gray thunderbird. Just as the hornet was about to ticket the man for parking next to a yellow fire hydrant, the fella jumped out. A Japanese samurai wrestler with a look like a twig beside of him. Pure muscle. Pure avoir du poids. Pure latissimus dorsi. Shoes shining bright. White shirt. Striped tie. A three-piece gray suit. Hair slicked back and long. Gold and two fingers on each hand. Gold on left wrist. More gold on right wrist. The hornet paralyzed now. A rigor mortis affair turned the whole uniform and the man inside the uniform to pure starch. Or like how a pair of pajamas does look when you left them out on the line in the dead of winter. God damn, the man said. You park wrong, the hornet said. Who say I park wrong? You park illegal. Who goddamn say I park illegal? Look at the sign. Which goddamn sign? The sign that say no parking between four and six and no stopping any time. You not only park, but you stop. <laughs> you stationary, therefore. The Indian Green Hornet man's voice get high and shaky. You have therefore parked. I'm going to give you two seconds, nigger, to take the goddamn ticket off my car, motherfucker. What you call me? I am no damn nigger. I am Indian, legal immigrant. I just doing my job for the city of Toronto in metropolitan Toronto. You are a blasted American Negro. Well, multiculturalism gone out the window now. <laughs> all the pamphlets and the television commercials that show people of all colors laughing together and saying, we is Canadians. <laughs> all them advertisements in Saturday Night and McLean's, all them speeches that ministers up in Ottawa make concerning the different cultures that make up this great unified country of ours. All that lick up now and gone through the others. One time, bram! The Goliath of a man grabbed a hold of the hornet by the scruff of the green uniform. The peak cap fall off all like now so. The little black book slide under the car. The hornet himself lifted up off of the ground by at least three inches. And shaking about in the Gulliver's hand, pelting about his two legs like if he is a Muppet or Puppet. And when I anticipate that the fella going to pelt him in the broad road, the fella just hefted him up a little more higher off of the ground and lay him across the bonnet of the shining thunderbird, holding it down like how you just hold down a cat, particularly on the chin. And the fella said, Now, motherfucker, is you going to take the goddamn ticket off my bird? <laughs> I pass long quick ball because I know the police does be up in this Sinclair Oakwood district like flies round crocus by a sugar at the drop of a cloth hat. 
and that they just take in anybody who near the scene of crime, no matter how small the scene or how small the crime. And if Ms. Weston is involved, pure handcuffs and pelting about inside the back of the cruisers till they get inside the station. And then the real sport does begin. So I looking and I looking off, knowing that a Green Hornet, even if he looked like a Pakistani or Indian, but is really a Trinidadian or Guyanese and only look a little bit Indian, he can get help from the police. Not one police, but five carloads of police. All like now so the road full up with West Indians and other people, and these West Indians looking on and laughing, because none of them don't like Green Hornets, not even Green Hornets that come from the West Indies. <laughs> I passed long quick, boy. I got to face the immigration people in a week, and I don't want nothing concerning my past or present to have a stain through witnessing violence, to prevent them from, stand, from stamping landed immigrant or immigrant reçu in my Barbados passport. I may be an accessory before the fact, but I was still thinking of my friend, the other Green Hornet. So I looked back to see what kind of judgment the Thunderbird man was going to make with the Indian gentleman from Guyana, who now have no peacock, no black notebook, one shoe fall off, and the green tunic tear up. And as my two eyes rested on the scene after the fact, I hear the child's atlas of a man say, and don't call the motherfucking cops. I got you covered, nigger. I knows where you goddamn live. I hope that this Goliath of a man don't also know where my Beijing Green Hornet friend live. I hope the Thunderbird don't park all the time up here. And I start to think about getting a little message to my friend to tell him to don't put no tickets on no great Thunderbirds <laughs> or no West Indian cars like Tornadoes, which is West Indians' favorite cars. <laughs> and I start to wonder if he know that a West Indian does treat a tornado more better than he does treat a woman or a wife. And with a West Indian, you can't ask his woman for a dance at a dance unless you're expecting some blows. Even if, you give you, even if he give you permission to dance with his woman, don't dance at Isaac Hayes or by White Slow Peace. Too slow and too close here. I waiting anxious now because I don't see the boy for days these days. I feel the boy already start making money from the scheme. I walk all over Sinclair, Oakwood, all along Northcliffe, swing right upon Eglinton, make a left on Park Hill Road, a further left up by Whitmore, and find myself back upon Northcliffe, going now in the opposite direction. And still, I can't rest my two eyes on the Green Hornet. Fellows start telling me that the boy does be going to the races every day on his lunch break, on his lunch break from ticketing people cars and betting one hundred dollars on the nose and five hundred dollars to show on one horse and left in the races with bundles of money and laughing like shite. I walk in about day and night all over Sinclair Oakwood and still no sight of the boy. 
Then, bam, I start hearing horror stories. I come out my apartment last Wednesday night to get in my car, my blasted car not there. It gone, to away, one fella said. The next fella said, be Christ if I catch a police to him in my car. I don't like this place, it's too fascist. Too much regulation and law. A man can't breathe. I take up myself and lodge a complaint with the police because I hear I can't take up myself and lodge a complaint with the police because I hear illegal. No work permit, you know, no job, no no car. You park your car and when you come out in the cold morning to go work at a little illegal job, no fucking car. I was up by a little skins one night. I tell the wife I going by spree. I tuck up by Northcliff at the skins apartment. I really and truly did intend to spend only an hour. Well, with a few white rums in my ass, one thing lead to next. And when I do so, and open my two eyes, morning be Christ's break, and I miss daylight. My ass in trouble now two times, wife and what? I bang down the fire escape not to be seen, and when I reach the ground, no blasted car. <laughs> Stories of motor cars that get to away start spreading through the Sinclair Oakwood neighborhood, just like how the yellow leaves that fall upon the grass a certain time of year. Stories of fellas getting laid off, no work permit, getting beat up, can't go to the police in case, and getting locked up. All this gloom starts spreading like influenza. The fellas scared. The fellas vexed. The fellas angry. And they can't go and complain to the police to find out where their cars is, because, you know, the paper's not in order. As man, and the little matter are landed and resumed, and so on and so forth. They can't even start calling the police pigs and racists and criminals. And all this time, nobody can find the Green Hornet boy at all. Well, the plague of two-way cars rests so heavy on my mind, even though I don't own the wheels, seeing as how I was a real TTC man, that I get real concerned. Was drunk or sober, blood more thicker than water. As man, I hear the voice and I bang round. And look, I see cars. I see West Indians. I don't see no police, but I frighten. I see a tow-way truck. And I still don't see nobody I know, but I think I recognize the voice. As man, I bang round again. And I see the same things. Over here, man. God bless my eyesight. I miss the green hornet, man. My friend. Sitting down behind the wheel of do right towing 24 hours. <laughs> I do so. Look, I blink my two eyes. I seeing, but I not seeing right. I watching. But I have an eyes that see and that watch, but they're not seeing, right? Amaze me, man. The Torre truck, real pretty. It having 
shortwave radio, two-way radio, CBC FM, <laughs> stereos, and CB. It painted up in black, yellow, and white. The green hornet boy dressed off now in overalls and construction hat, cock off at an angle on his head, cigar in mouth, and shades on his face like if he is a dictator from Latin America. <laughs> Remember the plan? The plan I tell you about for making money? Man, I went to my bank and talked to my bank manager and squeezed a load out of the bitch, man. He tapped the door of the tow truck like if he tapping a woman. And I had a word with a fellow who was a green hornet like me. I am still a green hornet myself. But I works the afternoon shift. This fella I know, the ex-Green Hornet, couldn't take the abuse and the threats to his person for being a Hornet. So he opened up a little place up in Scarborough where he impounds the cars I just tow away. <laughs> and me and he splits the money. I brings in a car and quicks out and lock up and impounded. If a fella want back his car, $50 in his ass. You want a piece of this action? I get real frightened. You want to get cut in from this action? But, 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 but. You see that pretty silver gray Thunderbird park beside the hydro? I watching that car now 15 minutes. I see the fella park it and go in the apartment building there. I figure if he coming back out soon, he can come out within 20 minutes. I got five more minutes. I start getting real frightened now, cause I see the car. And the car is the same car that belongs to the Goliath, the black American fella. I so frightened I can't talk and warn my green hornet friend. But even if I could have find words, my tow truck friend too busy talking and telling me about a piece of the action and how easy it is to tow away cars that belongs to illegal immigrants and get money split 50-50 and to remember the Rockefellers. <laughs> and I had to laugh one day when I bring in a Cadillac, he tell me, still laughing, as if he was still bringing in the Cadillac. Appears that my punk friend had a little altercation or difference of opinion with American man over car wants. So when I appear with this silver gray cat, he get real frightened and start telling me that nobody not going to maim him, nor brutalize him, nor cuss his mother, that before anything like that happened, he would go back to Guyana first and pick welts off of the roof, off of the reefs, or put out oyster pots in the sea wall. Look, I got to go. Time's up. I see him, and I watch him pull off from side of me, like if he didn't know me, like if I was a fire hydrant. I watch him drive up to the shiny gray Thunderbird car, not making a noise, like if he's a real police raiding a West Indian joint after midnight. I see him get out the tow truck, like if he walk in on ashes. I see him let down the big iron thing at the back of the tow truck. 
first time in my 11 years living here as a semi-illegal immigrant that I have seen a tour truck that didn't make no noise. <laughs> I see him bend down and look under the front of the Thunderbird. I see him wipe his two hands. I see him wipe his two hands like a laborer who do a good job does wipe his hands. I see him go round to the back of the bird and bend down. He wipe his two hands again. I see him size up the car. I watch him put on the two big canvas gloves on his two hands. I watch him cock the cigar at a more cockier angle. Adjust the construction hat, take off the shades, and put them inside his pocket. And I see him take the rope that neck out iron and look like chain and hook him up and the gentleman nice, clean and polished gray nineteen eighty-five Thunderbird. I see him and I watch him. The boy rail professional. I wondering all the time where the boy learned his work. He danced round to the tow truck and press a thing, and the bird rising up off of the road like if I'm ready to take off and fly. <laughs> I see him press the next thing in the tow truck and the bird stationary, but I'm up in the air at an angle like a Concorde taking off. I see him bend down again to make sure that the chain of iron hook on good. I see him wipe his two hands in the big canvas gloves the next time. And I see him slap his two hands, telling me from the distance where I is watching that it is a professional job well done. I think I see dollar bills registering in his two eyes too. And I see him tuck the chain tight so the bird wouldn't move off, so the bird would move off nice and slow and not jerk nor make no noise when he ready to take she to the pound to impound she. And then I see the mountain of the man <laughs> tipping toe down the metal fire escape of the apartment building where he was. Black shoes shining in the afternoon light, hair slicked back and shining more brighter than the process dressed in the same three-piece suit with the pinstripe visible now that the sun was touching the rich material at the right angle of sheen and shine. And I see, or think I see, the gentleman take off a diamond and gold ring two times off of his right hand and put them in his pocket. I think I see that. And I see how the hand become big, Big, big like a boxing glove. And I watching, but I can't open my mouth, nor find words, nor voice to tell my former Green Hornet friend to look over his left shoulder. I see him, but I can't talk of what I see him. I find I can't talk. I can only move. A tenseness seized the moment. I do so, and point my, my index finger like a spy, telling another spy, to don't talk, but look, look behind. 
And at that moment, the black American gentleman's hand was already falling on my friend's shoulder. Thank you. Austin Clark was born in St. James Barbados in 1934 and raised by a single mother who worked as a laundress. A track star and superb student, he attended the island's top schools and gained admission to elite universities in the United Kingdom. Circumstances led him instead to Canada, where he studied at Trinity College, University of Toronto in the 1950s. Thereafter, he pursued a career as a writer while also working for the CBC as a journalist, teaching at a series of universities including Yale, Brandeis and Duke, and participating in politics and civic life and civil rights activism in the United States, Canada, and Barbados. Clark's 2002 novel, The Polished Ho, one of ten that he published in addition to a series of memoirs and short story collections, won the Scotiabank Giller Prize and the Commonwealth Writers' Prize. Austin Clark was named to the Order of Canada in 2008 and died age 81 in 2016. Thanks to the estate of Austin Clark for allowing us permission to use the audio for this episode. And thanks, as always, to the Toronto International Festival of Authors for allowing us access to their archives. Find out more at festivalofauthors.ca. Writers Off the Page, 40 Years of Tifa, is a year-long podcast series that celebrates 40 years of the Toronto International Festival of Authors. It's produced by the Toronto Public Library. The executive producer is Gregory McCormick. This episode was produced by Gregory McCormick and me, Randy Boyagoda with technical support from George Penayotu and Michelle DeMarco, marketing support from Tanya Oleksik, and research support from Marcella Van Run. For more about Writers Off the Page, 40 Years of Tifa, visit tpl.ca slash podcasts, where you will find links to the books mentioned in each episode and links to other relevant materials in TPL's collections. Music is by Yuka. I'm Randy Boyagoda, and we'll be back soon with another episode of Writers Off the Page, 40 years of Tifa.